forgot to say it earlier because I probably did. My name is Josh. I um, have the honor and privilege of getting to serve as one of your deacons here at Grace. Um, I want to start this morning by, by just letting you know where I'm going before we ever get too far into this. So as you can see, it's Orphan Care Sunday. And so here, here at Grace, we're, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to talk about that. I don't know how many of you got the opportunity to be here a couple weeks ago at our Grace 1-8 service. I hope that you did. If you didn't, let me give you a quick couple things that we talked about. So our, our missions team talked about some of their, their, their strategy and some of their vision going forward. And, and, and they talked about some, a couple of new things. One of the primary things they talked about that was a little bit different than, we've, than, than at least how we've communicated historically is they said one of their focuses as a mission team is going to be orphan care. And so I know that it's Orphan Care Sunday, and so it may feel like, well, this is just a one-off, and we're just going to do this and be done. Um, but I promise that's not where our leadership of this church stands. That's not what they want. Uh, they want our church to be committed to taking care of orphans. So this morning, what I, would, uh, what I hope that, that we will do this morning is ask, answer the question as to why we would do that. Why do, why, why do I care? Why do I believe you should care as a believer in Christ uh, that it's Orphan Care Sunday? Why should you care for orphans? Why should you reach out and, and, and take care of orphans in their distress? Why should our church make that a priority for their missions team? Why should the church global set up something like Orphan Care Sunday? Why is this significant to us? So we're going to answer that question hopefully with three, three uh, separate statements. Number one, um, we're going to hopefully say because the Bible tells me so, right? We're going to answer it that way. We're going we're gonna to look at this overarching command that we have in all of Scripture. The second thing is because adoption is an essential part of God's plan throughout the gospel. This is something that's new. It's not something that just all of a sudden showed up in the New Testament. It's not just some fad in the church that is going to fall off here in 15 years from now. At least I hope not. Um, I believe it's something that's commanded of us in Scripture and it's essential throughout the gospel. And the third but not... Last but definitely not least is because we were adopted. And so we are going to talk about why we would care about orphans in those three ways this morning. Um, I, I can't lie, we talked about it a good bit in the Grace 1-8 service. And I'm not even going to try to uh, do what Ben did because he did a phenomenal job. And he has a heart for orphans like I cannot even imagine. The man loves um, his kids that he's getting to foster right now and does a great job of displaying for us what orphan care should look like, um, at least for some of us. And so we're going to try to answer the question why. I'm not going to go into some of the stats and numbers like he did this morning, but we are going to try to answer the question why. So you know where I'm going. Um, towards the end, I will talk about a little bit of practical application. What does this actually look like? Because we're answering, we're answering the question, why do we care for orphans? Why do I care that it's Orphan Care Sunday? Um, at the end, we are going to talk a little bit of practical application. We're not going to talk a ton on that this morning. And the reason why is because down the road a little ways in January at our Grace 1-8 service, we're going to have the opportunity to do that a little bit more in depth. And so this morning, I want to get at the heart of it. And the reason I want to do that is because I believe that if you want to take care of orphans for the wrong reasons, and you can't answer the question why with biblical truth, I don't think you're going to do a good job of taking care of orphans. And ultimately, I think you're going to end up just getting out of it because it's not worth it to you. But if the reason why you decide to take care of orphans is founded in biblical truth, I can promise it's something that God will sustain in you. So this morning, we're going to answer the question why. 
Before we get too deep into this, I do recognize that we probably have some unbelievers in the room, some people that aren't Christians. So for those of you in the room, I want to stop for just a minute. Um, some of you may, may say, well, I think I'm a believer, but I'm not really sure. Some of you may go, I'm not a Christian. I'm just here to, to visit this morning. I'm just kind of checking things out. Well, number one, we are extremely glad you're here. I will say, at first, this is going to seem like maybe I'm not talking to you. Because I keep saying, well, this, this call to take care of orphans is for believers. And it is. So, in that way, this is not for you. But what I would ask is that you listen close. You pay attention. Because I promise, at the end, I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to you specifically. And we're going to talk about how the truth that we hopefully unpack this morning can very much change your life forever. The truth that we see in the gospel about um, orphan care and ultimately adoption can change your life forever as well. So, that's where we're going. Um, like I said, if you're an unbeliever, not sure what you think this morning, please stay with us. Please listen. I'm going to come back to you. So, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 31. So, go ahead and be turning there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start with that first point, which was because the Bible says so. So, we're going to talk about this overarching command that we have to take care of orphans. And it's not going to be worded quite like what you would think, but I think by the end of us talking about Matthew chapter 25 right here, you're going to see very quickly why I can say without a shadow of a doubt that this definitely includes orphans. So I hope that you're there. And before we read, can we pray? I'd really like to pray this morning. Lord, I come to you this morning um, broken, fallen, um, not worthy of your love or your grace or, Lord, ultimately your adoption as a son. But, Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for what you've done in my life. I'm thankful for the example of the people in this church and how they show us what it looks like to take care of orphans and how to display um, very practically for, for an unbelieving world what you have done for them through, through orphan care of, of, of children. Lord, I pray that, that as, we, as we open your word, I, I pray that you would allow me to disappear, Lord, and that, that your word would just speak. I pray that you would give us a heart for orphans in this church as you command us to time and time again in your scripture. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Matthew chapter 25. I'm starting in verse 31. It says, and before we go, this is talking about final judgment. So Jesus is talking to people about the final judgment and what it's going to look like. You ready? When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So this morning, we're going to talk about the least of these in this overarching command. Because right here, we see Jesus say that his followers, ultimately the people that love God, will do what? They will take care of the least of these. Who are the least of these? Well, I'm going to make the argument this morning that orphans are a huge, huge category in this group of people that, that Matthew call, or that Jesus calls the least of these here in the book of Matthew. So why do you think I can say that? Well, to start, let's read what the list of things that applied to the least of these was. Uh, Hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked. Every single one of those things will apply to an an orphan every single time. They have no way to feed themselves. They have no way to provide a drink. They have no way to clothe themselves. They have no love, attention. They have no one to take care of them. So I'm going to argue this morning, and this is not the only place, but we're going to argue to start this morning that when we talk about the least of these, that orphans are going to fit into that category every time. And so right here, Jesus actually says, if you love me, if you believe in me, ultimately at the final judgment, if you are mine, then what are you going to have done? You're going to have taken care of the least of these. You're going to have fed them. You're going to have given them drink. You're going to have given them shelter. You're going to have given them clothing. You're going to have visited them in their distress. Now, now we, we can sit here and say, okay, so we're in Matthew, we're in the New Testament. This is just a new thing in the New Testament that's talked about. I'm not going to let you off that easy. What I want to stop and do is I want us to think back just a few weeks ago. Steve Korn taught us out of the book of Ruth. Does everybody remember? At least some of us remember. So he talked about Ruth and Boaz, correct? So Boaz and Ruth left where they were living and went back to um, Boaz's home, okay? But her home, what did they have land-wise and and property-wise and ultimately any way of providing-wise? They didn't have much of anything, right? And so Steve started talking about how Ruth had went out into the fields and had gathered food to provide for her and Boaz. Everybody remember that portion? If not, I'm telling you it happens. And it talks about it in the scripture. So here's my question. How does Ruth just walk out into the field and start gathering food? Sounds like stealing to me. I don't know about you. Anybody else agree? Right? Because there's somebody that has worked that land, that has planted those crops, that has, that has, that has worked hard to prepare for the harvest. Correct? So why was she able to just walk in and start gathering? I'm going to answer that question biblically. Deuteronomy chapter 24 Verses 19 through 21. Don't try to turn there. Um, But it says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. 
that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Why could Ruth go into the fields of her future husband and just start gathering? Because guess what? He had already done his first pass. And he, per the law that God had set up for his people, they could not go back over it again. In today's world, we would go, are you kidding me? We're just going to leave stuff out there? We're going to be that inefficient? If I did that in my job? Oh my goodness, this is unheard of. You can't just leave a bunch of stuff out there. for We're not going to reap the reward of that. But God commanded his people to leave the seconds of everything so that the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow could go behind and be provided for. God had made a way for the least of these. This is not something that that is only found in these two scriptures. It's seen throughout the entirety of the scriptures. We see God command his people, whether it be in the Old Testament and we look at the people of Israel, or whether it be in the New Testament and we see Christians as we call them. It doesn't matter where you look. God commands us as believers to take care of the least of these. So, as we talk this morning, that's the first thing I want to make sure that we understand. That this entire grand narrative, God is continually calling us to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. I know it's easy sometimes for us in our American culture to think, well, we need to just let them take care of themselves. They need to pull themselves up by the bootstrap and they need to provide and do this and do that. Let me just tell you, that, that's not how God planned it every single time. He calls us to take care of the sojourners, the widows, the orphans. We look to James where it says, true religion is this, that we would take care of widows and orphans in their distress. It's easy to take care of a widow and an orphan after all the bad stuff's done. No, he says, no, in the middle of the distress, in the middle of the hardest time, you're going to reach out and take care of them. If you are my people, if you love me. So what's point number one? Why do, do, do I believe that we should care for orphans? Why should I care that it's Orphan Care Sunday? Why should you care that it's Orphan Care Sunday as a believer? Because the Bible says so. Because this is an overarching call to all of God's people from the beginning of time until now to take care of the least of these, to take care of orphans in their distress. So as you move forward, we need to paint that framework, right? Because if the Bible says so, we can begin answering other questions as to why as we go forward. But that's, that's where we have to start. It's an overarching call for his people. And, and, and let, let's think about this. What a better way for God to display his love to the world than to call us as his people to love those who are unlovable. What a better picture Is there a better picture than for us to love the unlovable just as he loved us? We are called as believers to take care of the least of these. Why do we care that it's Orphan Care Sunday? We care because the Bible says so. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move to the second point. Anybody remember what it was? 
I didn't think so. So, number two. Why do we care for orphans? Why do we care that it's Orphan Care Sunday? My point was because adoption is an essential part of God's plan throughout the gospel. We're going to move to Matthew chapter 1. You're going to want to turn there. If any of you know Matthew chapter 1 very well, you're going to be very confused as to why we have to read this verse this morning. It's not just verse 1. We're going to do 1 all the way through verse 17. And if I hear whines because we're about to read what we're about to read, I understand. I don't like reading this either because I can't pronounce these names either. So here we go. Matthew chapter 1 starting in verse 1. Are y'all ready? I'm not, but we're going to go. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the death of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaphah. And Asaphah the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abuid, and Abuid, the father of Elikim, and Elikim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Miriam, who, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So now, many of you are like, those are the parts of Scripture that I skip because why in the world would I read all of those? Somebody else can do that and figure out who all those people are, okay? And I'm not going to try to talk about who all of those people are. But what I would like for us to do this morning is I think there's some pretty cool truth that can be found in this portion of Scripture. So what I want to do is I want to start by giving a quick quiz. And for some of you in the room, you're going to know this. Who are the two people on that list that majority of us know it was prophesied that Jesus would come from? The first one, oh, who was that? Somebody said it, David. Okay, so that's probably the most common, right? He'll be an heir of David, okay? What's the other one? Top of my list, Abraham, the very first one, right? That promise was made to Abraham. He was the, basically the first one to hear that promise. Okay, so those two names are both in that list. Everybody good with that? So we, we, for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with the Old Testament, in the Old Testament it was promised that the Messiah, Jesus, would come from the line of David. It was also promised that he would come from the line of Abraham. That God would bless the entire earth through Abraham's offspring. So it is significant, and Matthew was letting us know here, this is significant. Jesus came from who? The line of David. And who? Abraham. That was important. People needed to understand that. They needed to be able to trust that Jesus was the Messiah that had been promised. 
They didn't need to be worried about, oh, did he come from? I don't, I'm not sure. No, Matthew clears it up. He says, here it is. Here's the lineage. Here's how he is of the line of David and ultimately of, from, the, uh, from the line of Abraham as well. So why is this significant? You're going, what in the world? This is pointless. Why would we even talk about this? But I believe there's something special here. So I want to talk about one other prophecy that was made in the Old Testament. It's from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Don't turn there because if you do, it'll take you too long and I'll be done. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So it was prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Anybody see any, any concerns here? Okay. So he would be born a virgin. So now let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to pick up right here in verse 18. And we're going to read through. And we're going to talk about what happens. Okay. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When the mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay. So we're going to pick back up in verse 20 in a second. But what's going on here? So Mary was found to be with child, and they're betrothed, not married. Okay? We're adults in the room. Something had to happen in order for her to be with child. By all of our definition, right? And some of you are going, yeah, but the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon her. Hold on just a minute. You're telling me you've got a, fr a, a friend of yours that is a woman, comes to you, is not married, and she comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. And you say, what's one of your first questions? Who's the dad? Right? You're going to ask that question. And she says, it was the Holy Spirit. None of us are going to like react well to that in today's culture either. Neither were they in that culture. They understood biology enough to know how this works. And so Joseph actually by law had every right to do what to Mary? He had every right to have her stoned. Because she had been unfaithful when they were in the betrothal period. And so it says, Joseph being a just man did what? He said he was going to uh, divorce her quietly. So he was going to end the betrothal quietly. Not going to put her to shame. But ultimately this was disgraceful. And anybody that knew, knew that Mary was a disgrace. And, and Joseph was not seen highly of either in the midst of this. Okay? This is not a good time. So Joseph, being a just man, said... Okay, I'm just going to put you away quietly. Let's keep going. Ready? Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Sound familiar? We just read it. If it doesn't, Listen up. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So Joseph has a very like real practical in your face encounter with the Lord. And he says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. It was the Holy Spirit. She's not fooling you. Whew. Okay. So what does Joseph do? He's obedient. Let me, just, let me just say, this was probably not a popular decision because Joseph had heard in a dream from the Lord. Nobody else had. 
So there's a lot of people, probably his family and others around, that probably didn't approve the decision. They said, this woman is cheating on you before you're ever even married. How are you going to marry this woman? She does, she's a disgrace. So understand this was probably not the most popular decision. But it was what God had commanded Joseph to do. So what did Joseph do? Well, number one, he was loving and, 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 and faithful to Mary. And he was obedient to God. There's one other portion of this, though, that I think that we sometimes overlook. And I know I did for a long time. So now, does anybody see any issues with how chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, tie in to verses 18 through the end? Let me read the last couple verses of that first section. It says, Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Iliad, and Iliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the, the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of who? Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. I have a question. Jesus was promised to be from the line of who? David and Abraham. Did we just follow that lineage from Abraham through David all the way down to Jesus? No, we followed it to Joseph. But what did we also just see? Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. He did not. He, he said he was not with Mary until after she had conceived the child. So explain to me what has happened here. Because if we can't explain this, then Jesus is not Messiah. Because Jesus did not fulfill the prophecy that he would be from the line of David, that he would be from the line of Abraham. So what happened here? Here's what happened. Joseph was not just faithful to take care of Mary and to, to, to stay with Mary accordingly. He was faithful to adopt Jesus as his own son. He was faithful to take care of what would be an orphan on this child or on this earth. Joseph chose that even though that child in and of itself would have been a disgrace, just like the mother would have been, chose to guess what? Take that child in and say, No, you're mine. I'm going to adopt you as my own son. If he doesn't do that, Jesus is not our Messiah. He does not fulfill the prophecy that was that he would be from the line of David, from the line of Abraham, and so many more. So why would I even make this a point? Why would I even talk about this? I would talk about this because I'm going to argue we ought to take care for orphans because adoption is an essential part of God's plan throughout the gospel. If God chose to use it with the Savior of the world, his own son, if God chose to, to have Jesus himself, the Messiah, the Savior for all of us, to be adopted on this earth, how can we not understand that it is significant for us today? Adoption is essential to the gospel story throughout. These are not the only places we see it, but oh my goodness, what a picture. What a beautiful picture of what God did. What a beautiful picture of a Messiah that came and had to be adopted by a man who was faithful and obedient to God. Who took in a woman who would have been a disgrace, took on a child that would have been a disgrace, loved him and raised him as he was commanded to do. Thank you, Joseph, for being an example of what it looks like to take care of orphans. Thank you, Joseph, 
for loving the unlovable, for taking care of the least of these. So why do we care that it's Orphan Care Sunday? Why do I care for orphans? Number one, because the Bible says so. It's commanded. It's an overarching theme. Number two, because adoption is an essential part of God's plan throughout the gospel. And last, but I... It is probably the most important thing we'll talk about all morning is because we were adopted. So why do I say that we were adopted? A lot of you in in the room probably had parents that raised you um, since you were a baby and you were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Galatians 3. Verse 15. Okay, so I'm going to have you read this one with me. So I'm going to give you a second to turn there. So point number three, I care for orphans. I care that it's Orphan Care Sunday. We as a church believe that this is important enough that we would spend a week doing it here. We would make a focus. We would make it a focus for our missions team and ultimately a focus for our church as a whole. Why? Because we were adopted. Galatians 3 verse 15. Are you ready? To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds anything to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law has been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise uh, promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and you are Christ, and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of Everything, But he is under guardians and managed until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Why did I read this whole passage? Because I want to make sure we know where we're coming from. 
So, so Paul here is talking to a group that is probably struggling with this difference between, between faith in Christ and, and, and the law and how are they separate, but how are they the same? And so he's walking through this tough truth that I can't sit here and say I can just explain extremely well. Because honestly, if I explain it one way and I'm like, I'm confident that was it, you're going to go, but what about this? And somebody else next week might come up here and try to explain it. You're going to be, let, let me just tell you, I don't have all the answers and I don't know that it's, there's a perfect explanation that we can understand today. That's something that's going to go on. But what I do understand is that God made a promise to Abraham that his descendants and ultimately his heirs would share in an inheritance. And what Paul says here is he says, here's the deal. He made a promise to God's people through Abraham. He told Abraham, and this was a promise that wasn't just for Abraham, but ultimately for us today too. He made that promise, and it was a promise where Abraham actually had to lay out on the ground and do nothing. He put Abraham to sleep, and he walked through the line of fire, if you will. So Abraham had nothing to do with the promise that God was making. It was a promise to Abraham from God and Abraham offered nothing in return. We can talk about that story another day, but it's a beautiful picture of how Abraham had nothing to bring to the table. So, so what does Paul tell us? Paul says, look, that promise was made 430 years before the law was even instituted. So let me promise you something. Righteousness and ultimately this inheritance that we're talking about and the salvation that we're talking about here doesn't come from the law. I can promise you that much. It does not come from the law. So what does it come from? It comes from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Right? And so he, he walks through that. But then in, in, in chapter 4, he talks about this concept. And he can't find any better illustration to use for us today of the relationship that we have between God and us than to be adopted as sons. Let, let, me, let me just talk about who you were before God's adoption because I think this is key. And so unbelievers in the room, this is a good time for you to cue in because I think this is, I think this is huge. Here's the deal. A lot of times we in our heads are self-righteous and we think that, that we got it going on and we got this right and we got this right. Yeah, I'm a little off here, but I'm, I'm in the right direction. I got this, I got that. Let, let me just say, you're an orphan without any chance to feed yourself, without any chance to clothe yourself, without any chance to find a drink, without any chance to provide anything for even your own self, much less anybody else. Nothing that you could ever do would ever atone for the sins that you had already committed. You, as an orphan, could not provide for yourself. It's not like you just needed to work harder. It's not like I, I just need to follow the law and do a better job of, of seeing, what does the law say there? Oh, okay, I get it now. I'm in line now. I get it. No, no, no. You're an orphan. You're not capable of it. When we talk about orphans, we're talking about children who have no opportunity to provide for themselves. Parents who have abandoned them. They don't have a parent. Do, do we see the significance here? Do we see now what, what Paul is ultimately saying about us and what God is saying about us through Paul? We were helpless. No chance 
of attaining this salvation on our own. But what did God do? God reached down in the mess and said, I'm going to adopt you out of this. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to make you an heir with me. You're going to receive the inheritance of a king. And not because you earned it, because you were an orphan. You couldn't even put food in your mouth. No, that, that's not why. I'm going to do this because Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and was born of a virgin, adopted by Joseph so that he would be through the line of Abraham, of David. Adopted Jesus, came, lived a perfect life. Lived a perfect life. Not close, not almost there. Lived a perfect life. And then was crucified on a cross, not for his own sins, because we, he lived a perfect life. He was crucified to take on ours. So let me just say, why would we take care of orphans? Why would we care that it's Orphan Care Sunday? I didn't want to come this morning and just show a bunch of pictures of a bunch of pitiful kids on the screen and make you feel bad or whatever. No, I want to get at the heart of the issue, which is the fact that you were an orphan. You were helpless without any hope, without any chance of salvation, and God adopted you as his son. What a God we serve that he would love the unlovable. That he would love the least of these. That he would choose to love me in spite of me. That he would choose to, to, to take what I deserved and give it to his son. And then take what his son deserves and give it to me. What a God we serve. So, so here's the deal. I, some of you are parents in the room and maybe, maybe you can relate to this. I know that my parents, whenever they talk about as they were raising us and, and, and growing us up, they talk about how one of the things that they loved doing was there were certain things that their parents had done for them that they could still remember that they really enjoyed. And so what did they love to do? They loved to give us those same things. Any, any of the parents in the room understand that? You love the opportunity to take your child somewhere that you really loved going or to play a game that you really loved playing or to fill in the blank, do something that your parents did for you that was huge Listen, that's the heart we need to come from this morning. When we talk about taking care of orphans, it's not a guilt trip for me to say, uh, but there's a baby up here that I need you to take care of. It's, this is not a guilt trip. This is about talking about you have the opportunity to love the unlovable. You have an opportunity to share with a, a child. You have the opportunity to share with a child adoption. You get to show them practically what it looked like when Christ pulled you up and out, when God adopted you as a son and gave you his inheritance. This morning, it's not about a drive-by guilty. That's not what we're here for. I'm here to get at the heart of the issue as to why in the world would we as a church care that it's Orphan Care Sunday? Why would the church global spend time setting up something like Orphan Care Sunday? It's because it's commanded of us. Adoption is absolutely crucial throughout the gospel. And last but not least, because you were adopted. So unbelievers in the room, those of you that, that, don't, that don't claim to be Christians, I told you I was going to come back to you. Here it is. Listen, I come to you this morning, and, and if you go, I, I, I don't know what that looks like. How, what, you said I was adopted, but 
Here's what I know. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So look, I, I can't explain all the intricacies of salvation this morning. I probably couldn't even if I had a lifetime. But let me just tell you this much. I trust that the Bible is true. And it says that if you believe in the name of Jesus, you will be saved. So this morning, if, you, if you're saying, okay, I, I, man, I don't know about taking care of orphans yet, but man, the hope that you get out of being adopted and ultimately having this inheritance that is the inheritance of a king, the inheritance of our God, man, that's beautiful. Man, that God you're talking about that loved you enough even though you were broken, fallen, and orphaned, man, I want that. Well, let, let, me, let me just tell you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So, we're going to talk about a couple of practical applications, but before we, before we move too far, I, I just want to say, make, let, let's, let's make sure of one other thing. Let, let's say why we would not care for, care for orphans. If our reason for caring for orphans is not biblically founded, so if we say that we want to care for orphans simply because they're cute, I really want to start a family, I really, uh, I really like kids, I really enjoy all this, let me tell you, me and my wife learned firsthand this weekend that will never be enough. Because when we go to classes to, be, to, to, to get prepared to be foster parents, and we sit in a class, and you hear a woman at the front teaching and talking, and she has to continually go back to stories about parents, about foster parents who come in and take kids, and then call them later and say, this kid just doesn't fit. It didn't make sense to me at first. I couldn't understand. Well, what are you doing then? But then I had to step back and I had to realize if I don't have the hope of the gospel, if I don't have the hope of Jesus Christ, it doesn't make sense for me to take care of orphans. And it may seem like a fun idea for a time, but once they get in your house, it's way different. And so, let, let me just say, if your heart is not biblically founded in the reason why it wants to take care of orphans, then stop now. And we need to talk about what your heart is in that. If it's truly you just want a child, you just want a family, you just stop. We need to get our heart right first. Doesn't change the command. We are still commanded to take care of orphans. But we need to talk about our heart first. So this morning, again, we're going to talk about some practical application now. What does this look like? How do we take care of orphans? How, th this seems huge. There's a lot going on here. Well, a couple things. Number one, adoption. Okay? I, plain and clear. Adoption. We see it played out in Scripture multiple times. We, we see that as the probably just hands-on way for us to visualize taking care of orphans. That literally a child w that will not have any parents, that will not be cared for, that will not be taken care of, be taken care of, that we can pick them up and bring them into our home and provide for them, preach the gospel into them, love them, clothe them, feed them. Adoption. Number two, foster care. Some of you are like, uh, what all does foster care entail? Well, foster care can entail a lot of things. You can foster to adopt. So you can say, I'm going to foster kids that are going to be ready for adoption soon so that I can adopt them. You can foster and be willing to adopt. So that's, you're going to foster any kids, but if they end up coming up for adoption later down in the path of whatever that looks like, I'm willing to adopt them. 
You can foster just to foster. What does that look like? That means the, the parents have, have had their rights temporarily taken away from them. Or, or maybe grandparents, maybe whatever, have temporarily been taken away. And so now I'm going to bring them into my home temporarily. Love on them. Provide for them. Preach the gospel to them. What else does it look like? Some of you are going, well, that's not possible for me right now. I understand. I'm not expecting you all to. What else does it look like? Well, guess what? We have um, at least two foster families in our church already. Let, let me just say, being a foster parent is not easy um, for multiple reasons. Because you would think, okay, it's just two more kids, whatever. Or it's just two kids. Well, it becomes more difficult than that because those are not your own kids. So you can't treat them quite like you can your own kids. So things like babysitting, you would think, we got plenty of teenagers in this church. They can handle that. Not quite that simple. In order for a foster parent to have their children babysat for, that person that is the babysitter has to have a fingerprint, a background check, and has to be CPR and first aid certified. Okay, that just made things a little more difficult, right? How many teenagers in our church do you think are fingerprinted, background checked, and uh, first aid and CPR certified? I don't think we have any yet, okay? So, see how that can become an issue. Now, well, let's take it one step further, okay? Foster kids cannot go out of the country ever while they are in the foster care system, okay? Parents, some of you know that you have been out of the country. What happens when our foster parents are going to go out of the country? What happens to those kids during that time? Well, what they need is they need somebody that can provide respite care. Okay? Respite care. Similar to babysitting, but they're going to have to stay at your house probably. So in order to do that, it takes some more training and some more things going on. So you see where I'm going here? You see how I've, 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 I've layered us some things that we can do. One other thing that our church, um, we've got some people in our church that have been thinking, working through, what does this look like? Um, after talking to Ben, if you heard Ben at the Grace 1-8 service, he, he really practically just put it in perspective for you. Ready? He said, we got a call, I think it was on a Wednesday, and they were coming that night or the next day. He didn't know the ages before he got the call. He didn't know boy, girl. In fact, they were asking for school age. And guess what? They didn't get school age. So now what happens? Do you think they had car seats? Do you think they had high chairs? You think they had the right bedding? Maybe, maybe not. And you're going, well, they should have done that before. You don't even know the age you're going to get before you get the call. That may not be practical every time. So here's, what our, here's, one of the, here's one of the visions, the dreams that we're talking about as a church. We want the opportunity to set up a foster care closet. We want to set up a closet here where we have high chairs, we have car seats, we have clothes, we have bedding, we have diapers, we have all those things set up in a room here so that when Taylor and Daryl Barnes get a call and say, hey, you've got two three-year-olds coming, they don't go, oh my gosh, that's six trips to the store because I'm going to forget this and then I'm going to forget that and then this and then that. No, it's, it's all of the church. There's a package up there ready for us. We just got to pick up the three-year-old package. Think about this. Let's take this a step further. Let's dream for a minute. What if they didn't even have to come to the church? Because we had people here on call ready so that when they got the call, you got the call and you were here, you went and got the stuff and brought it to them. And you know what? Let's take it a step further. The Sunshine team was ready to provide a meal that night. So guess what? All they had to do was prepare their home and pray over that child as they were coming into their home. 
Do you see, do you see the opportunity that we have? And, and, and let me say this. That there are some foster parents and some adoptive parents that are not believers. What an opportunity to say to Arrow, which is the, which is the agency that majority of our churches use to this point for foster care anyway. I know for adoption, we used a different agency and um, talked to the Florinois about, about that. If you'd like, I would love for you to. But what about this? What if we were able to say to Arrow, the agency, hey, listen, every time you call a parent, would you call us? We, we really want to see if we can take them a meal. And let them love on those kids tonight. Do you see the opportunity that we have to take care of orphans in their distress? Now guys, like I said, we're not going to get too deep into into practical application. What I'm going to promise is in January, we're going to have another Grace 1-8 service, okay? That Grace 1-8 service, we're going to talk very clearly about practical application. What does it look like? How are we going to do it? Look, the, the foster care closet, there's a life group that's been kind of getting some stuff up there and trying to get the, the closet organized. But honestly, we don't even have a, a great team in place yet. We've been going back and forth. And I've been talking to this person and then that person and that person. And everybody's kind of all over the place. So in January, after this Grace 1-8 service, we're going to have a meeting to see who's interested. Because you may say, I, I, look, I can't foster, I can't adopt right now, but here's what I can do. And so maybe you want to be a part of that team. Maybe you want to be one of the runners that says, hey, look, I'm on call this week. If anybody gets a call for a kid, I'm here to come get this stuff and take it to them. Maybe you're one say, let me provide a meal. Because, you know, Ben made it very clear. He said, what do you do when somebody has a new baby? You take them meals all week. How many meals do you think the two foster families that we have got the week that they brought foster kids into their home? None. And I'm not trying to get on to us. I just want us to see practically how can we take care of orphans in their distress. We can support those that can do it maybe in a different way than what we can. So this morning, let's wrap it back up. Why do I care that it's Orphan Care Sunday? Why do I care for orphans in their distress? I care, number one, because the Bible tells me so. Number two, because adoption is essential to God's plan throughout the gospel. And last but not least, I care for orphans because I was adopted. Let's pray. Lord God, come to you this morning. Thankful, um, humbled that you would adopt me. Lord, Lord, knowing how much of a, a wretch I was, knowing how much of a pain I was, knowing, um, Lord, how unworthy I was, Lord, ultimately knowing that I had nothing, I, I came with nothing, I could provide nothing, I could earn nothing, I could, I, I, I could do nothing. Lord, knowing, knowing and understanding that, but knowing that, Lord, you chose to adopt me as a son. Lord God, thank you for adopting me. Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share the gospel with orphans here today. Show them the adoption that you showed me. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.